were praying there. I think uh, you might not have heard all of it because of the microphone. Thanks, brother. Uh, but that's all good. Uh, my name is Remo Tale, and it's such a privilege to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, I have the, the great gift of being able to serve you know, full-time here in the ministry, working for the church, primarily uh, with the campus uh, university students, uh, and then I get to do a bunch of other things, uh, like honors, like this morning, to be able to share some words before you. So uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, and I know for some of us, uh, maybe, you know, this is uh, news, uh, but some of us were at the camp last week, right? A couple of us, uh, got a couple of hands. I know some of us weren't, some of us stayed at home, or uh, maybe this is actually your first Sunday here, and you're like, what camp? I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. We were able to go to the camp as a family last week, and we, we didn't camp. Uh, we're not those people, uh, but we did pop in for a day, and it was actually so much fun. And I drove away saying to Palisa, I said, you know, we are part of such an incredible church family. And I, and I realized, you know, I say that to Palisa quite often. Quite often after interactions, whether it's a Sunday service like this, or sometimes in, in homes with one another, or in conversations with certain people, I'm like, man, we're part of such a great church family. And I don't just say it because, oh yeah, you know, we went to the camp and it was fun, but, but it's because throughout life together, I feel like we're actually a cool group of people, and we're just trying to figure out what God wants from us and trying to do it. And I don't know if you, if you resonate with that, but that's what I feel. And, and I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to have front row seats to this as we've kind of discussed our series. As, we've been, as a congregation, we have been walking through this idea of wanting to learn how to say it's all about we instead of saying it's all about me. And of course, this is not a necessarily an easy topic to preach about. It's not necessarily always fun and games. And what's been interesting is that people, both young and old, have come up to me and have said, you know, this was what I appreciated about the lesson, or this is what I didn't really appreciate, you need to work on that, or, or just, hey, I found that funny, or what have you. But in the middle of all of it, deep down, there's been so much of the comment has been, man, I really want to implement that. Man, I really want to change. Man, that's, that scripture you shared has really impacted me. I really want to implement it in my life. And I'm so encouraged because that means that we are still that old school, faithful, Bible-believing church that wants to do what is right before the eyes of God. That we want to learn if God is trying to teach us something, that we want to be prompted and shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit. Like, we're not losing that. I think that's something to be celebrated. So I just want to say, man, you guys are great. It's a great group of people to be a part of. Amen? And I do want to mention this because it's easy to take this for granted, but if you're growing up in the church, now remember, I grew up in the church, just a different one somewhere else in another city. Trust me on this. In 10 years' time, you'll look back and you'll be grateful for this. And if you don't believe me, ask the guys sitting in, the, in those seats. Whether they grew up in the church or not, they can tell you that being able to have this kind of a community, having this kind of faith background, having people who believe in you and trust you and love you like the people in this room do, is a great privilege. So don't, don't lose out on this. If anything, take hold of it. And then I did want to say, if you, if you are, maybe this is your first time or your third time, or you're kind of sussing out us as a church, this is a great group of people. Okay, now, I work here. Okay, this is my job, so I have to say that, right? It's kind of, they're paying me to some extent to say that. But it's, it's really true, and I want to encourage you, plug in. You know, make a decision, ask somebody, you know, the person who invited you, the, probably the reason you're here is because you were invited by someone. And if that person was nice enough, that you would agree to go to church with them. Trust me, there's more nice people than that person. And you can go around, you can meet them, you can get plugged in. Um, and, and then to everybody else, man, I just want to say, man, thank you so much. For years, I know so many, so many have been faithful followers of Jesus, have been members of this particular congregation for decades. For years, week in, week out, serving, loving, caring, sharing their lives, going through the ups and the downs of life together. I want to say categorically, 
thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. Amen? Okay, enough of all the mushy stuff. Let's dive into today. Very quickly, I want to share the two books that helped shape uh, this series the most. Is The first one is A Meal with Jesus. And this one on my, my right now, uh, your left, is the old cover, I believe. And then that one's the newer one, A Meal with Jesus by a guy named Tim Chester. A phenomenal book, really, really helped shaping the thinking around this sermon series. And then the second one is When the Church Was a Family. And this is by Joseph H. Hillerman. I know I've mentioned these before, but I wanted to share pictures of them in case you see them somewhere and you have the ability, the resources to, to procure them. Please do. Um, I've honestly only shared maybe 15% of what both of those books teach in, no, combined. So uh, th there's a lot more to go uh, than what I've been able to share from the pulpit. So please, if you have the resource and the ability to, uh, please feel free to pick those up. Um, and so, okay, so what have we been talking about? We've been discussing that it's all about we. And so we started week one, uh, we went all the way back, and we, we went back to understanding that we were created from community, from a loving, authentic, deeply unified and connected community. That's the image within which we were then created, and that's the image that we now bear. And so we are created from community for loving, authentic community. And then we realize that in this world that is full of distractions and, you know, connectedness and all of these crazy things going around... Uh, we need to choose, like in the story of Mary and Martha, we need to choose simplicity. We need to choose to live simply. And we need to choose presence and that which is better over all the things that can come up in our way. And then, that was week two. Week three, we looked at the idea that Jesus and the New Testament writers seem to be calling us into a strong group family when we enter into relationship with him. So part of what we get when we enter into relationship with Jesus is we get adopted into a family, much like this one, of very different types of people with all different types of stories that we get to connect with and be a part of. And then last week, we looked at this idea that practically, to be that strong group family, to be people who say it's all about we and not all about me, we need to begin to gather around tables. And it doesn't really matter what type of a table it is. It doesn't really matter what's on the table. What really matters is who is it that is around the table with us that we can gather with. So then the question is, so how do we end off the series? And even as I say that, I want to mention this. The idea is to end the teaching of the series, not necessarily the practice in our lives of what the series has been teaching. Amen. And so what I hope is that as a community, that we would become the type of people who gather around tables long term, that weekly, monthly, and then maybe a couple of years from now, we continue to fight to say it is all about we and not it's all about me. So the plan for today is actually very simple but incredibly challenging. We're just going to dive into a day in the life of Jesus. And I don't even know if it's a full day, but at least it's a segment of a day in the life of Jesus. And we're going to see how he ministered and how he was around a table and see what we can learn from that. Have a look with me in Luke chapter 14. The Bible reads, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There, in front of him, was a man suffering from ab abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing 
to say. Okay, so this is a random day in the life and times of Jesus. It's, uh, you know, episode 300 and whatever of, of the Netflix series, if it was a documentary. And we're pulling up, and Jesus is, it's a Sabbath day, and so I think it's relatively normal that he gets invited over for a meal somewhere. And Jesus, of course, graciously accepts the invite to this prominent Pharisee's house. I like the, the descriptive, descriptive terms that Luke uses there. And what Luke notes is that Jesus was actually being carefully watched. Now, I'm not 100% sure why that is, but I can imagine that for Jesus, this isn't going to be just a, you know, chill by the table, nice time with everybody. It's a, you're under scrutiny, my friend. Make sure you're on your best behavior. And yet, as so often is Jesus, he's like, ah, I've got other plans for this day. He's got other desires in his heart. And I think really the, the deepest desire on Jesus' heart is he wants to do good. He wants to do that which is better. So when he sees this man suffering from swelling, now that's all the text gives us, suffering from swelling. We're not sure if it's his hand, his foot, his ankle. We don't know, right? But it says that he was suffering from abnormal swelling. And what's interesting is, I don't know if that guy would have been invited to this. Back with sickness in those days, it, it, it wasn't like the type of thing that anybody can just come. Now, because of the way houses were, it was a little bit like having a street party. Have you ever had one of those? Where... No? No one? Where you, where you block down the road, and like, we do this oftentimes in, in townships, then, then the wedding happens in the street, right? And so where the, whoever walks by can actually just slip in, grab a plate of meat, because that's what we're there for, and they e exit, right? So that's kind of how the houses were built these days, right? And so what could have happened, there's kind of two options that scholars believe. One is this guy was an uninvited guest with abnormal swelling. He heard Jesus was going to be there, so he decided to be there. The other option which is possible, but we don't know, is that he could have been a, a, a sick family member of the Pharisee living in the Pharisee's house, not invited, but because he was in the house, he then ended up being there. What's amazing, though, is the encounter has no words from the man. Luke does not note the man coming to Jesus for help. What he does notice, note, though, is that Jesus confronts the Pharisees about the state of the man's condition. That he asked them, hey, experts in the law, hey, Pharisee, is it okay to leave this man the way that he is? Is it okay for us not to heal him? And I think what this reveals about Jesus is that he wants to do good. It doesn't matter whether it's a Sabbath and he needs to break a couple of rules. His desire is to bring reconciliation. His desire is to bring redemption and to bring healing to the world, whether we ask for it or not whether we're inclined towards him or not, because we're not sure about this guy. But what is, what is true is that Jesus is ready to break the rules. In fact, he's so ready to break the rules that where the Bible says, and he took him by the hand and healed him, other, other renditions say he embraced him. Again, this is thousands of years ago, where if you were sick, the most likely conclusion was this was contagious. So we don't touch those who are sick. We treat them at arm's length, and yet what Jesus does is he says, come here, let me heal you. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how good Jesus is? That he sees the human condition, he sees the brokenness of this man, and he sees him in the context that he's in, invited guest or family member, and he looks at him and says, I want to do good to you, regardless of what that's going to cost me on the social scale, on the political scale, even my own livelihood. I'm willing to do something for you. So he breaks the rules for this man. And what's interesting 
is he goes back to question the Pharisees, and it says there, and they had nothing to say. I think it's important for all of us to remember that the Jesus who we love, who we serve, and who many of us are gathered here in honor of, that we revere as holy Lord, he is a Lord who brings about redemption, reconciliation, and healing. He is a God that does not care what it's going to cost him. In fact, it cost him his life eventually. But he was willing to put that down, to be able to say for you, for me, and for this gentleman, I want to bring good in your life. I want to bring healing. I want, to tr- I want to be able to hold you and to touch you. I want to be able to push aside all of the stereotypes of this generation and draw near to you. See, because what Jesus sees is he sees people, not things or tasks. I'm going to say that again. Jesus sees people, human beings, image bearers. When he looks at every single one of us, he sees people, not tasks. And so what's beautiful about that is that that's who we are, isn't it? Are you a person? <laughs> I mean, maybe you're not. We can talk about that another time. But I'm a person. I identify as a person, a human being. And when Jesus sees me, he draws in. He doesn't step away. When he sees my faults, when he sees that I may be at, a, at, a, at an event that I'm not invited to, maybe I don't have the privilege to be at this, in this circle, Jesus draws in and wants to connect with us bringing healing, reconciliation, and redemption. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And yet, all of this is happening while he's kind of staring off with the experts of the law. I love it. I mean, he's like seeing this guy, but he's also willing to press these guys towards living a different life. Have a look at how the story continues. Verse 7 says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person Sorry, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I mean, look at what Jesus is noticing here. He's kind of healing this guy, and he's done with that. Then he's looking around, and he's saying, oh, okay, interesting. There's a dynamic going on here. And he sees that these men are trying to get to the most honorable seats. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, it's just a light meal, you know, on the Sabbath. Let's just... Everybody relax, take it easy. No, 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 no. Jesus has his rabbi hat on, and he's ready to deliver some lessons about the seats of honor. And he delivers this really short and profound parable. And I know for us, it's a little bit detached, because we don't really have seats of honor anymore. Right? And, and, and it doesn't matter as much as it did in the first century. See, because back then, the honor that you believed a guest deserved or a guest should be shown was kind of shown by how you seated them. It's kind of similar to today that, you know, we let the the guest of honor sit at the head of the table, or sometimes at very important events, we put them in the front seats. But again, it doesn't matter as much to us today, because we don't really have this thick honor and shame culture that is over us. See, in an honor and shame culture, life is a constant quest to develop and manage an intricate network of relationships that is your social capital. The most important asset you had was your reputation. 
how you, who you knew and how you were known by people. Everything in society revolved around this. This is how you solved your problems, and this is how you made your decisions. Right? And in our culture today, we would consider that a little bit unfair or corrupt. Just think for a moment how you feel if I mentioned words like nepotism, or if I mentioned words like getting a tender. Right? It brings up something in us. Why? Because we use finances today. We pay our way towards honor. We pay it through how, where we live, through the cars that we drive, through the types of events we can go to, the types of cell phones that we own, even, potentially, sometimes, oh, I can't go there, can I? <laughs> even, potentially, sometimes, paying our way to do whatever it is that we want to do. Not in this room, I know, but I'm just saying, in the culture that we live in, you know, sure, I have such a, never move, 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 okay, sorry. My brain went to a very bad joke about, petrol, uh, about uh, Metro Cops. Anyway, so what Jesus here is doing, he is attacking the very fabric of how their society functioned. That when they gathered around a table, what was important to them, Jesus was saying that should no longer be important. You see, in his story, he illustrates a very simple but incredibly profound point that would happen in a wedding those days. That you could sit in a seat and then be told, no, sorry, my friend, you thought you were a front row kind of guy, you're actually a fourth row kind of guy. But now the fourth row is full, so you have to end up in the eighth row way back there. That's humiliating. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. Ever been those people where you go to the movie and you... Because there's no lights in the movie. No, sorry, you're in my seat. And then the guy's like, oh, okay, going to take his popcorn and go, you guys have been there, surely. When I remember, I remember one time, it was so awkward, I was getting on a plane, and I was, you know, 31D or whatever the seat is, and I always sit in the aisle, I just kind of know that off the top of my head, and so I got to the number 31, okay, cool, and, and the, you know, the guy's next to me, hey, welcome, sit down, whatever, and, uh, you know, you're waiting, and the plane slowly fills up, slowly fills up, slowly fills up, and then eventually, somebody came to my seat and said, uh, you're in my seat. <laughs> no, I'm not, buddy, this. This paper here, 31D. And he was like, oh, but I'm also 31D. And it turns out, as you guys know, airlines do, or they did, allegedly, allegedly, um, they overbooked us. And so there were two 31Ds. And now we both had to do the walk of shame up the aisle of, okay, we're in the wrong seat, until, and then we had to go talk it out, and eventually they found him a seat, and I, I went back to 31D. But it is humiliating. It's uncomfortable. It's like, man, wh wh why did I do this to myself? You, you're actually glad in a movie that the lights are so dark so you can just kind of hide your way to your seat. You don't want to be caught. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying will happen to you if you try to choose the seats of honor. If you try to choose the position of prominence, you're going to have to take the walk of shame. You're going to have to humble yourself. And he says, so rather, choose to be humble. Make that your decision. Say, I will rather say, you know what, it's fine. Let me sit at the humble seat and then let your friend come and say, oh, friend, no, 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 you are really a first row kind of guy. And I think maybe what he's trying to say to us and maybe the lesson for us is that church, instead of trying to get up the, some type of ladder, why don't we be those who humble ourselves? Why don't we be those who are representatives of a different kingdom, a kingdom where status isn't what we're pursuing, but service is? What if we could be the types of representatives who said, hey, it's all about we, not it's all about me. Amen? All right, final section of his day here. Jesus 
continues. It says, then Jesus said to the host. Okay, so he dealt with the sick guy. He dealt with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Now he's like, okay, dude, I'm honing in on you, the host of the party. He says this. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection, at the resurrection of the righteous. Mm. Wow is right indeed. I mean, Jesus turns his attention to this guy, and he is not mixing his words. He has a very serious and distinct idea of who should be on his guest list, and he's about to let him know. And I think this, for me, church, I'll be honest, this is where I got really convicted. And this is where I got very uncomfortable very quickly, and I wished he didn't go here. But see, Jesus is like, dude, if you invite your brothers and your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, what you're choosing to do is you're choosing to reap the benefit today. You're choosing status, you're choosing prominence over what it is the kingdom is really about. What he says is we must choose to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And he says that will lead to being blessed. Wow. It's so different. Even 2,000 years later, that's not our tendency. That's not how we live our lives. And so what I did is I, I went and I tried to find commentaries that say, no, 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 what Jesus was talking about, it was a metaphor, Remo. Right? He was talking about those who are blind spiritually, those who are lame spiritually, those who are crippled spiritually, those people who aren't doing 100%. Gather them around your table. Encourage them. Say, bro, sis, friend, hey, let's gather. Let's talk because I'm going to help you get there spiritually. I have bad news. Not one commentary I read had that. Not one. I was like, come on. See, because everyone, every commentary I read said, man, this is keeping with the way that Jesus taught the type of person that Jesus was, the things that mattered to Jesus and the people who mattered to Jesus were these types of people. And he taught this everywhere. Because what Jesus saw is that these were image bearers that he could reach out and connect with. You see, image, being an image bearer is a title held by all humans regardless of their spiritual state. I'll say that again. Being an image bearer, the type of person who is made in the image of God, that is true of every human being on the planet, regardless of their spiritual state. Now that's hard, because we want to say it's those who are in the church who are the Imago Dei, who are representing God. Now there's some truth to that, right? And we can chat some more about, about expanding that. There is some truth to that, but at the essence of humanity... Every one of us created in the image of God that was not designed because of our spiritual state. And so the challenge we have today is that our classes and our social statuses don't operate the same way that they used to back in those days. We don't have the types of gatherings in our homes where people can just walk in off the street. But I think we cannot run away from this because I think it matters incredibly, incredibly deeply to Jesus. Have a look at what he says here in Matthew chapter 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes, in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to, the chosen, to, those on his, to, sorry, to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will, sorry, the righteous to eternal life. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That's Jesus' stance. That's an incredibly challenging picture. You know, I'm, I'm so convicted about this that I was taking inventory of my own life. What have I done in these contexts? What have I not done in these contexts? Where is it that I can grow? And what's amazing is if you, if you search the New Testament text, just in Jesus' teaching, there's so many other times that he brings up these sorts of things, that these are the types of people that we need to be in his kingdom. And then, of course, the New Testament writers continue that on. And what's even more powerful is this starts in the Old Testament, this idea of man taking care of the least of these. So I think the role of image bearers and kingdom citizens like you and me is that we have to take this on. We cannot be those who only care for those who can care for us in return. We have to find ways to care for those who can't. And this is a hard teaching. And I wish I had five practicals to now share with you. This is how you go out and do that. I don't have that yet. I, myself, me, Remo, I am having to repent and grow in this area. I am having to realize that, man, my table often can look like people who can give something back to me. I'm having to be honest with myself that I don't always see an image bearer when I see somebody in a less fortunate position. When I see someone caught in a sinful act, I don't know that I see that. And yet what Jesus says is that if you do these for the least of these, if you do these things, if you, ca- if you take on my likeness like this, then you will be with me eternally. I think this is what Jesus did, didn't he? No one could pay him back. No one could love him equally. No one could reciprocate what it is that he did for, him, for us in equal measure. And he simply says, hey, I've done it for you. Now go out and do the same. And so what we, what we see in this really short snippet of Jesus' life is that he started out with challenging the rules that the society was living in, that he went on to heal on the Sabbath, that he taught those around the table, and he even directly addressed the host of this lunch. And all of this can feel kind of jarring. It can feel like, what's the point of the sermon, Reams? Where are we at here? Right? It can feel a little bit all over the place. But isn't that your life as well? Man, if someone took a snapshot picture of my life, it does not look the same moment to moment to moment. Things are going on. There's stuff happening. And I think this is a great picture because that's what is happening in Jesus. 
that Jesus is not so far away that he doesn't resonate with us. He gets it. He's walked this walk. And yet, in all of that, he lives from loving community to love the people of God and the community around him. He is the one who chooses to simplify his life, get rid of all the distractions so he can engage personally and profoundly with people in need. He is the one, church, who says, I'm going to humble myself and be made family with these people that are not like me, that are not equal to me, but they will become my brothers and sisters. He is the one who is the picture of what it looks like to be humble, what it looks like to truly be able to say, it is all about we. And this is a journey that I'm fighting to be on myself, and one that I would like to encourage us, let's continue to be on it together. Let's continue to fight to choose all of those things that we've spoken through throughout the weeks over ourselves. I'm not saying we don't matter. I think we're in there and there's someone else who's preached a sermon series on that. But I think sometimes we matter too much. I know I do in my own eyes. And yet what I find is the more time that I spend around tables with those who can't give me something back, with those who can, with friends, with family, deeply woven and connected in community, the better my life is. And the more I feel like I taste that which is good. Amen.